Welcome back, my friends, to the winding corridors and dusty shelves of the book exchange. My name is John Lovell. My brother Jude Lovell is here. We've got a show. It's episode 38 of the Book Exchange Podcasts. Good evening, Jude. Hey, John. How's it going? Pretty good. Um, once again, we don't typically record in the evenings, but we've done it twice in a row now for the last two episodes, so I have no idea what that means. But we've got an exciting and interesting show for you all tonight. This is one of our occasional, what we call BXC reviews, where we take a, a, a particular book and take you know what we've called a deep dive into that book. It's a spoiler-filled episode when we do this, so that's your warning right out of the gate. The book we will be discussing on episode 38 is called Leave the World Behind. It's a novel by a man named Ruman Alam, who I believe is from, or his, his origins are uh, from Bangladesh, uh, but he lives here in America. And uh, he's written an interesting thriller that was recommended to us by one of our listeners, as we've said for a few of the last episodes now, just trying to give people time to, to read the book if they wanted to read it. But that is our episode this time. We're going to be digging deep into this book, Leave the World Behind. It's, it's, uh, it's a bestseller. It's a thriller. Um, I think it's safe to say it's kind of an uh, end-of-the-world type scenario or possibly end-of-the-world type scenario that unfolds in this book. And um, as I said, it was recommended by one of our loyal listeners. We really appreciate the recommendation from her, and we're excited to dive into it. So that's what we have for tonight. Jude, anything you want to say from the outset? Uh, uh, well, I just first of all, I have to apologize. I've got I'm like about ninety percent because I've got a pretty wicked cold. <laughs> okay, and I may, uh, I may sneeze or sniffle or whatnot. So apologize if we hear any like bodily noises. <laughs> During no the show, and, and um, I want to reiterate the thanks to the listener. You know, uh, she has uh, she's um, somebody that knows you, but uh, you know, uh, reached out to me a little bit. You know, while we were getting ready to do this episode, very loyal listener, very intelligent reader, apparently, and I think she gave us a really, you know, her instincts were right. She gave us a good book to chew on, and we're, we're gonna. There is a lot here to chew on in a pretty spare kind of thriller type novel, so. It's really the kind of thing that we enjoy doing, you know, drilling down to a book. So thanks a lot for that. And yeah, I mean, I think this uh, this is going to be an interesting episode. It's going to go in several different directions. And uh, I'm curious to see like just uh, how close or how not close our reactions to the book were because we didn't discuss it a ton. So no, we didn't. Yeah, this is going to be fun in a lot of ways. And it's certainly a book that uh, uh, taps into a lot of well, uh, without spoiling our own conversation, taps into a lot of fears potentially that might may or may not exist in our society right now. Um, certainly, uh, I think it's safe to say this is kind of a, a zeitgeist book in some ways, but we'll get into that quite a bit in just a little bit here. Um, I do want to mention one note uh, from the book world in general, the wider literary world. Today just happens to be the day as we record this that the Nobel Prize for Literature was awarded. Uh, this morning. So I, I want to acknowledge and congratulate from the book exchange, the Tanzanian writer Abdul Razak Gurna, who is someone I had never heard of before. So 
I don't know how close I got to saying that, pronouncing his name right, but he is the recipient of the 2021 Nobel Prize for Literature from the country of Tanzania in Africa. Um, the first uh, Nobel laureate of African lineage and descent in about 30 something years. So that's exciting. And uh, it's always really interesting. You know, we did an episode a while back on, on our favorite Nobel laureates. Uh, and it's always really interesting, Jude, when uh, the, the award, this prize is awarded every year and it's somebody that, you know, we've never heard of. And because it, you know, what it does, of course, is opens up into a whole new vista of, you know, someone's writing that you might be able to di dive into and explore. So that was pretty, just some pretty cool news from the from the literary world there today. Yeah, you know, I'm, I mean, I love it. I, I I've never heard of that guy's name my entire life, and from what little reading I did about him, it seems like he's had a a very undersung literary career. But he has a lot of novels. Uh, he did win the Booker Prize. Um, to England's uh, literary prize, but I guess a long time ago, never heard of them. And I, I guess his books have, you know, some resonance now because of sort of transference between cultures, I guess, and, uh, and you know, immigration, et cetera, and colonialism, perhaps. So it's great to see somebody from Africa win the prize again. And, you know, it just gives us, some, gives us something, someone else to nerd out over, you know, <laughs> check out some of his books. I mean, it's great. You know, congratulations to him. You know, he probably uh, apparently he's retired from being a professor. So he's older gentleman. And uh, I hope he his life should really change. So uh, hopefully it'll be a good experience for him. Yeah, so I happen to see, you know, just a, a few minutes before recording that, you know, they always call an interview the person who's received the award. And he said he made some quip like, you know, like my my phone will not leave me alone tonight, which is far from the normal experience I have so I'm trying to escape into my study but it just won't leave me be or something like that which is kind of cool you know to think about a writer like that getting you know such uh international recognition it's pretty neat but anyway yeah, it reminds me of the, the the story of several years ago when they when they when Doris Lessing you know I think she's uh she British um, I think she's African or or uh a British descent okay, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she when she won, they caught her coming back to her apartment and like a from like the grocery store, you know, with like some groceries. And there was a bunch of people waiting there, and they caught her, and they were like, "Did you know? The, did you know that you won the Nobel Prize for literature?" And her and her her first word reaction on camera was, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty funny. I don't know if uh, this guy, I, I, I can't say his name, but I don't know if he quite had that reaction, but <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, that is funny. All right, good stuff. Um, take a quick break now, and then we'll come back and, and we'll talk about what we've been reading lately. How about that? All right.
All right, so your your humble co-hosts here, we're always reading something, and we'd like to kind of share that because that's what readers do, you know, talk about what you're reading. If you ask a real book nerd what they're reading, you're probably gonna you're probably in for a five ten minute soliloquy. So I'll do that now. Jude, what have you been reading lately? Well, I'm still reading a book that I was sort of vetting for the the book exchange. I'm not quite sure it's gonna cross the finish line and get up there. So I was really on the fence as to whether I should explain it or not. I guess I'm gonna say I won't because I want to keep the writer in my pocket. But I but I'll, I'll say this: it's a kind of an interesting uh, place to be on the literary map. So this is a book that's set squarely in Wisconsin. John, you being a Packer fan can appreciate that. And it's a book that's very, very much about the Midwest, which is kind of where I always say like, you know, John, you know, or some of our listeners know that we were born in Chicago and are very much from Midwestern stock. We said that before, but I don't think it's really genuine to say that you and I are Midwesterners, but I, I, I like to joke with people that my people are Midwesterns. <laughs> yeah. And uh, including many of our cousins, aunts and uncles, et cetera. So uh, this is a novel, contemporary novel. It has to do with these friends. It's set in Wisconsin. And, and you know, all that, the only other thing I, I would say about it, not to jip our listeners here, but that it's, um, it's at least as much about the place as it is about the, the, you know, five or six people that are in the story. So it's just interesting to read about the both the virtues and perhaps the liabilities of the Midwest. So that's all I'm going to say. Very cool. You know, um, the Midwest is always a fruitful subject for us, as you as you say. Um, you know, uh, so that's great. And I personally have I just finished reading a book as well that was I was looking into for you know, possible selection for our book exchange from from which this podcast gets its name. All I'll say there is that I, I think you are going to hear about that book later on this year, if you know what I mean. So that that's going to come back around for you one way or another. So, nice. yeah, that was a successful reading experience, one that you may share someday. Who knows? Um, but I, I cracked into, speaking of the book exchange, I cracked into uh, a book that you gave me actually for our exchange last year. Um, and it is a huge book. It's about, well, it's, it's over 600 pages, but it's a massive paperback. And it's a collect, collection of selected nonfiction writings from the great, great Argentinian writer, Jorge Luis Borges. Um, I think I, hopefully I didn't mangle that name. I think I got it right. Um, so yeah, Borges, one of Argentina's Argentina's, sorry, Argentina's most famous writers, I think it's fair to say, um, was an incredibly prolific author. Not so much in, you know, not so much in terms of uh, his output of books that he wrote. He wrote several story collections. And I don't, did he ever write any novels? I don't know that he did. I think he just wrote short fiction. Uh, yeah, I think, no, I don't think so. I think he was like very, you know, famous for you know the short form you know yeah yeah but his output as a literary critic and in terms of reviews and articles about other writers and literary themes just incredible and this this huge volume is a just a selection and one of the I know, you know one of the reasons you gave it to me was the incredible you know scope and breadth of the subject matter in this book i mean it goes from everything to 
you know, the Greek and Roman masters and antiquity and science fiction and American literature and movies and noir. And I mean, it, it goes everywhere and it just looks like an absolutely fascinating collection. So I just kind of started reading not from the beginning, but just kind of picked a place to enter and just started reading at random. And there are these short pieces that could be about, I mean, I just read one that was about translations of Homer. Um, but you know, he, he has an interesting, it's not easy reading at all, but he has a way of making almost any subject interesting. So I think it's just one of these reads that's going to challenge me a little bit, but I bet you, and I'm not going to read the entire collection in this, in this outing because it's, it's just, it's almost like a reference book. It's just got tons and tons of entries. Um, but I know I'm going to get some, some good stuff out of it. So I'm, I'm challenging myself a little bit, but I really appreciate the gift from you because it's, it's just one of these, it's like, this book is like a literary voyage unto itself, you know? So, uh, I've been starting to dig into that and I'll probably read, read from that for a while and then put it aside and crack into something else. But, that's what I have going on. <clears throat> well, okay. So I want to react to that briefly. And then John, I, I did want to talk very quickly about the book I read before this book that I'm reading, but I can, I can keep it really short so we can, so we can go on to our main discussion. So sure. first of all, with, with Borges, I mean, that is an, an Borges was that, I mean, he wasn't an, an all world literary giant. So if anybody's interested in world literature at all, Borges is an absolute titan, you know, so almost required reading. But he is very difficult. His fiction is really hard, too. Um, he, he, there's nothing dumbed down with him. He's like an incredibly, like, erudite and sort of a genius mentally. And I remember picking up that book and leafing through the table of contents, and I thought, oh, this just screams John Lovell, you know, because <laughs> he, he can handle all this stuff. But um, the other thing that's incredible about Borges is, like, the breadth of his influence is just astonishing. Because he, he had an, a major impact on so many different writers from all over the world, all through the 20th century, really. And, and, and one of the few writers that sort of did it across genres. You know, he was a huge influence on, like, Faulkner and, like, the heavy hitter literary types. But also people like Philip K. Dick, you know. Um, yeah. People like, the, you know, like Guillermo del, del Toro, the film director we really like. And you know, uh, thriller writers, you know, um, horror writers, his, his influence just, you know, sort of never ends. So, uh, I just want to make a pitch for his work, either nonfiction or fiction. And then just real quick, John, I got to mention this. So I, before I re I read, I started reading the book I'm reading now. Did you want to say something? No. Okay. Before I read the book I'm reading now, uh, I just want to bring up, we had, there's a book that came up I think in the previous episode, or this writer has come up a number, number of times, one of my favorites, Jose Saramago from Portugal. But I just reread, because it was mentioned in one of our previous podcasts recently, his novel from the, that was published in the 90s in English called The Gospel According to Jesus Christ. And it was a novel, uh, it's, like we said, uh, Saramago was a communist and an atheist, so it's like a... <laughs> subverts the the story of jesus basically and all, all i want to say here is if anybody listening to this is interested in christianity or literature about christianity or enjoys sort of probing to the depths of their personal faith if you are a christian or if you're if you're, if you're a non-believer 
but have some interest in Christianity from the other side and is not afraid of, of subversion. And almost I would, I would put it on the cusp of like, you know, blasphemy, you know, if you're ready to have the, the faith, the, the very foundations of the faith kind of knocked around and messed with for last lack of a better term, this novel, the gospel according to Jesus Christ is an unbelievable read as far as making you re-examine the foundations of Christianity and you're sort of forcing it to look at it from other angles and from the perspectives of someone who just doesn't believe it and doesn't buy it. So I'm not going to leave it there, but just anybody who has the stomach for that, this is a novel that you don't want to miss. Um, but it is subversive and it's, uh, it's pretty irreverent. So I just want to say that. Well, there you have it folks. I mean, uh, this is uh, the second episode in the in a row where, uh, my brother Jude here went to bat for that novel, but with good reason because Saramago is just uh, an all-world writer. Just his, his stuff is just incredibly unique. I've never read anything anything like it, um, and it's just really interesting. It, 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 all of his novels uh, that I've read are just a really interesting reading experience. Even beyond just the story, just the experience of reading Saramago is is really interesting on in and of to itself. So there you have it. Um, we'll take another quick break and then we're going to dive into our topic for, for this episode, which again is the novel, leave the world behind by Ruman Allah. All right, man. All right, Jude. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, this is a kind of an easy book to set up because it's the type of book that's, that, that puts a, sets a situation in motion. And um, it, that it's an easy one to describe. And then, you know, you're kind of hooked from the get go to see where this is going to go. So I'm going to describe the plot real quick. And then I'm going to, you know, tee up our discussion by asking you a question that should get things rolling. Cause I know, we haven't shared a lot of our, you know, specific reactions to the book, but I know you had a pretty strong reaction to the book. So we're going to get into that in a minute. Okay. All right. So this is a novel. I think you, I think you could characterize it as a thriller um, or maybe, you know, slash a, something of an apocalyptic tale, if you want to call it that. Um, and it features a, a couple, a, I would say upper middle-class couple living in a Manhattan um, or a family, you know, there's a couple, Clay and Amanda, they have two children. Um, I'm blanking on their names here. The daughter is named Rose. What's the son's name? Gosh, I'm blanking on his name too. <laughs> I remember Rose. Yeah. Yeah. They have a daughter. I don't remember. Yeah. They have a daughter and a son. 
And they decide to take some time. They live in New York City. They decide to take some time away from New York City. And so they rent and uh, they go to Airbnb, Airbnb and they rent a, a house that's out on Long Island. It's not exactly on the water, but it's in a remote area of Long, Long Island. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, part of the description of the house or part of the copy for the listing of the house says, leave the world behind. So I thought that was a clever touch. Uh, the, the title comes from the description on Airbnb. Um, so uh -huh. that kind of, that sort of situates the novel in a certain time and place right there. They go out to this house. It's very well appointed. It looks like it's going to be great. They're looking forward to, you know, they both work. They're looking forward to a break from their, from their jobs. And they're just going to relax as a family for a week. And so they have kind of an idyllic first day there. There's a nice pool and they're pretty, they're pretty, uh, you know, separated, you know, they're surrounded by farmland. They're not a lot of, other houses or people around. Um, and then, you know, there's a couple hints. There's, they get a couple alerts on their phones that, and they notice that um, they lose connectivity, you know, through their phones and through the TV. None of their technology seems to work, but you're not sure what that is. Um, there are a couple of uh, alerts on, uh, I think Amanda, the wife gets on her phone, um, that there's some kind of blackout happening in New York City, but they're not really sure. So they get to the night, there's a knock at the door, kind of like relatively late at night. They're getting ready to go to bed. Their kids are in their rooms. There's a knock at the door and they open the door and there's a uh, older African-American couple there. And they introduce themselves as, as Ruth and GH. And they say they're the owners of the Airbnb house. Say, so we know this is unusual, but there's something happening in the outside. There's some kind of major blackout on New York City, and there's some kind of event going on. We don't have any connectivity. Uh, we were sort of close enough to drive to this house. So we own the house. We're the owners of the Airbnb that you're renting, and we wanted to come in and just kind of take refuge here until you could figure out what's going on. And so they're very unsure whether they should let them in or not. And they're also unsure whether they're telling the truth about what's happening and whether there is something happening in the world. And it's very uncertain. And so that's kind of the situation. And then they eventually they let them in, but they're uneasy about it. And there's some kind of event that's going on in the wider world. And but these two couples and uh, the two kids of the first couple that arrived that day are sort of trapped inside this house. And the rest of the book unfolds from there as you try to figure out what's going on, you know, in the wider world. And you sort of examine these two couples as they interact and, uh, try to strategize and think about what they should do. What's a smart move? What isn't? And it sort of goes from there. So that's, that's the setup of the novel. Now, you know, obviously we both read it. Uh, this is a book that for whatever reason, it, you know, uh, it was actually written before the pandemic happened, but it came out, I think in 2019, it may have come out before may may have come out right around when the pandemic was happening. But it seems eerily prescient just from that. You know, it features these two couples who are kind of trapped in their own home. So the reason I mention that is because uh, it's there's a lot of buzz about this, but it's become a bestseller. You know, it's uh, been featured on lots of different podcasts and reviewed all over the place. Uh, it was immediately snapped up for for to make a film uh, that supposedly Netflix grabbed it and they're going to be making a feature film of this story. So it's really kind of a buzzy book, which is something we were kind of looking for on this show was uh, kind of review a book that was sort of 
of the moment and in the zeitgeist. So it's a pretty popular book. It's really made its mark on the culture and it's being talked about in a lot of places. So with all that being said, you know, we both read it. I know that you write for a particular magazine. I know you started working on a review for this book. You let me see what you're writing. So I have a sense of what your reaction to the book was. And I think it's safe to say that um, there is a lot about this book that you admired. And yet uh, it doesn't, at the end of the day, ultimately it doesn't seem to have uh, kind of landed with you emotionally, I guess is one way to put it. But uh, ultimately I think there were things about the book that you found frustrating and maybe unsatisfying. So I wanted to start by asking you, Jude, what did you admire about Leave the World Behind? And yet, and, but what is it at the end of the day that left you kind of cold and frustrated uh, about this novel? So there's a lot to unpack there, but that's sort of a two-part question for you to get things started. Well, yeah, and it's kind of going to be sort of the crux of my, you know, what I have to contribute to the episode. But that's fine because we can then go back and kind of break things down or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so your question is, what the, what were the first, what were the things that I admired about the book? And then, you know, what ultimately, you know, sort of frustrated me or how did I ultimately land at the end of the day? Right. Okay. Well, uh, you're right. So I, and I did let you see like the, the draft of the review that I was writing. And first of all, like the, the book, the book gar did garner a strong reaction in me, which sort of inspired me to write a review in the first place. And uh, I like that very much about it. Most of the books that I write reviews about are ones that I just sort of am back behind like 95 or hundred percent. This one I had a stronger, I guess, if you want to say negative reaction to, but it, it made me want to write about it in order to kind of plummet further. And I, I will say the more I plumbed my reasons further, the more I, I didn't question my reaction to it. I feel confident in my reaction to it. I'm just not sure that, you know, I'm very much not sure everybody would have the same reaction. And I think it's just like more has to more to do with me really, but to, um, so we'll get into that, you know, but to take, to, to take on your question, the, there was a lot that I admired about the book. Um, um, it, it, you know, I was thinking about because you know, with some of these other, exchange reviews we sort of asked like was this book ultimately worth your time or not worth your time and i that one for me is sort of right down the middle i wouldn't say it was not worth my time because the things that i liked about it i did like a lot uh i'll say number one it was very uh fast moving and brisk read and not very long i i admire the heck out of that you know just that it wasn't too wordy and that it was um it moved quite a bit um i just not too long ago, I've written kind of a thriller-esque book myself, and I was really working on making it move, and it's definitely much harder than it looks to do that. I love the short chapters in it. I thought the book was well-constructed. Like, the person who wrote it, like, knew what they were doing, you know, as far as composing a, a thriller or, or something that kind of swept you along. Again, not very easy. Um for the most part, although there were definitely exceptions, I liked the prose of the book. I thought that the writer was very skilled and just key in with, again, with exceptions that will, that will get to, but was skilled in general with just keeping the prose sort of um, relatively unencumbered. He did have moments of literary flourish, but he, he, he kept it moving, you know, didn't, 
didn't cram in too many details. I mean, uh, at all, you know, both for the plot and just sort of description and behind all that, I admired the sort of the confidence I could feel in the, in the way the tale was told, like this person knew what they were on about and what themes they wanted to explore. And I would also say that, um, and we'll get to this later, but I sort of like the very end. This is a rare example of a book where the very, very end of the book, I kind of liked but the rest of the book. I didn't as much, <laughs> you know, so that's pretty interesting too. So I thought all of those things were going forward. It's a very distant conclusion with that part. It's a very, it's a very well-made book. I thought it was like a, a real work of literary craftsmanship, really, you know, for somebody I'd never read before and has just a couple other books. And, you know, now to get into why I didn't like it, and ultimately I did not like this book very much, um, just to be candid. And it, and it has much more to do with not the execution, but with kind of the tone and the way it's executed. You know, I felt, I'll just say this, I felt heavily condescended to in this book, uh, you know, as, as a reader, you know, because I got a, a quick sense that the writer's view of things in the world, everything from just morals to, you know, your philosophical outlook at the world and a little bit about religion and stuff were very different from my own. And I thought that there was a lot of um, unnecessary snark about it or um, perhaps even worse, kind of the assumption that, you know, you, you were sort of on board with him. And if you weren't, you know, you were kind of, you know, you, you kind of haven't really thought it through. And I got that impression early on from the book and it just continued throughout. So one of the things I struggled with as I read it was, you know, am I just, did my back go up from some of the things I read early and then now I'm just looking for stuff or is he really doing writing this book in a very imperious and kind of condescending manner. And so that was, I kind of struggled through the rest of the book and that struggles, you know, not that fun, <laughs> yeah. you know? So that's, I'll, I'll leave it there, John, because there's a lot that I said, but that's, that's where I would start with this. Yeah. And it's interesting the way, um, you know, it's a bit like, I liken it to like, um, listening to music you know we've talked about this before like <clears throat> if you're introduced to a new band and you're kind of you know you hear one of their songs and it's kind of grooving along and then the singer comes in and you can't stand the singer's voice you know <laughs> if you can't get past the singer's voice you're just not going to be a big fan of that band i don't care how you know whether they're all virtuos it's like rush it's like the rush conundrum basically you know <laughs> like like <laughs> A lot of people, most people acknowledge that the musicians are just virtuosos across the board. But if you can't get past Getty Lee's voice, you're just not going to be a Rush fan. And, yeah. you know, with books sometimes, you know, if you there's if you hear something in the voice or you just don't like the, the voice that's being used or the, or the writing style or whatever, it's, it, it's very hard to get past that. And, you know, clearly, and I, my, for myself, you know, you, you and I are, aligned enough in the way we think and you know genetically impressed. I, I definitely picked up on a lot of what you you know brought out in this review that you wrote and what you just kind of alluded to here how there is sort of a there seems to be a sort of you know kind of a political point of view not political but it is a little bit political political point of view or a worldview that kind of sneaks through in this book that's sort of assumed 
And there is a whiff of condescension um, if you might have a different worldview that comes through in many different subtle ways. But it's interesting, yeah. you know, for, for me, this book, you know, I agree with a lot of what you admire about it, but I would say in general, and, you know, we, we allude to this on almost every episode, the way that you read and approach reading and approach books is, you know, you're very interested in the way they're constructed because you're a writer. To me, you know, maybe a little bit less so and maybe a little bit more like what is the experience like reading the book and what are I'm particularly interested in any book or what kind of questions do, does it raise? And so for me, this book was a, a more positive experience than a negative one because I thought it raised a lot of fascinating questions about the time we live in in our culture. And I guess I would say in general, books that do that for me, that kind of covers a multitude of sins, I guess, is one way to express it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't in love with his tone in some of the book either. I thought his pro style was good. Um, there are some, you know, we'll get to this maybe a little later. We don't have to unpack it, but there are some moments in it, particularly sexual moments that were just ridiculously graphic for no discernible reason. You know, mm-hmm. um, there are some moments like that that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I was, you know, I was just kind of enthralled and intrigued by some of the questions that it raises. And this is a book because, you know, it seems like this is a book. I don't, I've been thinking about this, you know, how calculated this was from Ruman Alam's point of view. Because it seems like if you wanted to write a book that's literally almost a compendium or a hit list of modern anxieties and fears in the time that we live in right now, this one hits just about every one of them. I mean, you have, it hits on race issues, it hits on environmental issues, it hits on world politics issues and issues of warfare and, you know, uh, nation states, you know, butting heads and stuff like that. It hits on um, our dependence on technology and it hits on fears about parenting. It hits on fears about, um, you know, whether we're woke enough or, you know, uh, you know, aware enough of or enlightened enough in terms of race and sexuality. I mean, it touches on so many different points of anxiety and that's, and again, it's just incredible happenstance that it happened to come out just before the pandemic because there's a whole new slew. Lord knows there's a whole new slew of anxieties that have bloomed now because of the pandemic. And it seems like a book that's tailor made for the time we're living in right now, but it was written beforehand, which is pretty interesting. Um, But for me, you know, so, how calculated was that? Uh, I don't know. It would be interesting to kind of know that, you know, because it just seems like it really was was purposefully constructed to touch on a lot of things, a lot of different topics that cause anxiety and stress for people in this day and age. You know, you know what I'm saying about that? Like, wouldn't you wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. This is a book that touched on a lot of a lot of fears and anxieties that, that, you know, we're all kind of surrounded by today. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. There's a lot of questions, good questions that are raised. I tried to point that out in the review that I wrote, you know, cause a lot of those questions are definitely worth examining, you know, um, how calculated is it? I, I it's really hard to say, like, you know, he might've just had like sort of a, a big, a big, 
concept for a book and then just sort of, you know, work the story out. And because of the things that he's interested in kind of in the world, you know, they all kind of wove themselves in sort of organically or another way of looking at it is that he wanted to comment on all these things. And because in, in a way, I mean, I don't want to get too far into politics, but it's, it's like, it's like he had like a, definitely on from the left or progressive side of the political spectrum. And he had like kind of a checklist of all the things he wanted to kind of, you know, make sure that he, you know, hit on in his story and kind of did that throughout the book. But I, I, I really don't know though, how that worked out. And, you know, as somebody who tries to write fiction, I know a lot of times, like, you know, you just have some vague kernels of an idea and you end up working in, what you're interested in. So I don't want to hang them, you know, hang them high for that, you know, yeah. cause I don't, I don't know how calculated it was, you know, but I think he, I mean, my thing with him is that he, he took the, he took the opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, work in some of these issues and in some cases kind of preach his gospel a little bit, but, but not all the time, you know, a lot of those questions that you raise are just kind of inherent to the story and, and very legitimate, you know? So it's like, you know, again, like my struggle was, you know, how much am I just reacting to this? or the sense that I got from it, like immediately that just bugged me throughout the book, but I ended up kind of questioning whether I was just overreacting because it just flew in the face of some of the things. I mean, I'm interested in all those questions, but just it was kind of more of the way they were presented, you know? Yeah, and it's a fine line, I guess, because I didn't, I didn't, I did not find the book preachy. I do think that his predilections and his, you know, own, like I said, his own worldview kind of doubt as it, I guess it does if you're a writer, you know, in kind of expressing, you know, I think you reveal something of the way you look at the world <laughs> through your writing. You know, if you're a writer and you're serious about it, I know you do. Um, and I think most writers, you know how they look at the world comes out one way or another. Um, I didn't. I didn't find the book particularly preachy, though. Uh, I think, but you know, I, I think he was looking to create an interesting scenario that would that would um, allow him to probe a lot of different fears and and areas of tension within our society. I mean, you could. I mean, there's a lot of ways to. <laughs> you know, what is this book about? It, you know, in some ways it's about race. In some ways it's about, you know, the environment and the, and the world we live in. In many ways it's about technology. It's also, you look at this book very much as a book about parenting and how we, and, and that's one aspect of the book that I found to be interesting because you end up with two sets of parents in this house and one of the sets of parents has their kids with them and they're a bit younger. And the older, the other couple is a little bit older, but they're separated from their child. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of back and forth in this book or not back and forth, but uh, there's a lot in this book about, you know, trying to make the decisions to protect your children and what's the right thing to do for your family. And, you know, how should you even present yourself in front of your kids, you know, and things like that. So I found that to be, that's another book aspect of the book that I thought found to be pretty interesting, you know, regardless of what's going on in the outside world, 
there's clearly something going on and the scope of it isn't known, but there's a danger. And, you know, you have to wrestle with, you know, how obligated am I to protect my family at all costs? And what's my obligation to others that I might encounter? And there are a couple encounters in this book with other people. And so, you know, in this type of scenario, it's like every time you turn around, there's some kind of moral question or moral dilemma that you're faced with. And that, that to me, that, that, that's compelling. You know, that, that, those are questions that we can all relate to, you know, how far would you go to protect your family? You know, is it at all costs? Is it to the exclusion of every other person around you? Or do you have an obligation to, you know, to put it in biblical terms to your neighbor, you know, where, whoever they might be. So there's a number of different, you know, the, all these kinds of questions are kind of, um, you know, ricocheting around as you're reading this book that I, I found to be pretty interesting anyway. Um, well, go ahead. Uh, were you completing your thought? No, you can, uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up another aspect of this book that I thought was interesting in a little bit, but go ahead. Okay. And I think I will do some interrupting here and there. Maybe you will too, because I just, you know, thoughts come up and I don't want to lose them and, uh, you know, can make for a more, uh, <laughs> you know, a more, uh, rapid fire exchange, if you will. But I, I said, so pre a couple of things that I thought was so preach preachy. I wouldn't use the word preachy either because preachy to me, it, it implies like diatribes or length. And I didn't, yep. I didn't get that from this book. What I got was more, I'd use the word smug and I'd use imperious. And I think the problem I have with this book, and you might not have had the same problem, was that a lot of these interesting questions were raised. But to me, underneath it, you felt like the writer was not just raising the questions, to, in my experience of the book, and like putting them out there. He was raising them, but he kind of let you know that he has, or the narrator or whoever it was, maybe it was some kind of higher level satire that I didn't, you know, latch on to. But I thought what I was hearing was kind of the person who wrote the book. And I heard in many places, he didn't just raise the questions. He raised them, but sort of let you know in a subtle way, he's thought them through himself and come to a certain conclusion. And if you weren't in line with that conclusion, I thought there was some smugness or condensation going on. Like I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Like there's one place, like there's, yeah. or there's many places in the book. I was about where to ask he, if you had any. Well, I mean, he goes out of his way two or three times to more than more than twice to indicate that the world is governed by logic. You know, and it doesn't the way he brings it up doesn't doesn't allow much uh, room for another another point of view. Yeah, you know, I think there's like a, a one place if I can find uh, my notes are like kind of hard to read. Um. So there's one place where he says, for example, like so he's talking about, so the, I have no problem with an atheistic character, but just listen to the way that the writer puts this. You know, Ruth is the older black woman who's one of the owners of the house. And it says Ruth's uh, about third of the way through the book. Ruth's atheism was a definite improvement. You can't get through life dismissing the incomprehensible as divine. And that was the, the narrative voice, you know, uh -huh. Um, and, and the implication there is, you know, I mean, I, I call me crazy, but I, you know, the, to me, 
there's there's some kind of conclusion that's already been reached. And if you're not on board, you're like slightly behind the curve, you know, and there are many there were many moments like that in this book. There's a couple places where it said that the universe was just governed by logic. And it said it, uh, one of my main hangups with the one of, with another of my favorite writers, we had a whole, this whole episode about him, TC Boyle, uh, American fiction writers that he, he is kind of of this view and in interviews, he's always saying like, you know, we don't have God. God is voodoo. We've dismissed God. We've uh, the science is science has dismissed him and that's it. You know? Yeah. And the implication is if you hold another point of view, you're just either under undereducated or some kind of rube from the, you know, the flyover states. And that's the, that's, I got that a lot of places in this book. There's another place, just one more example where he says something like a returned declaration of love is just an echo. It's a, it's a trick of physics. You know, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, you know, can you hold another point of view? And I, and that happened throughout the whole book. Like there were, there were moments where he just kind of laid his view of things out there. And to me, I felt like there was no room for dissension. It just made me feel uh, a little bit miffed and uncomfortable as a reader, you know? Yeah. No, you I agree with you there, and you're you're right about that. That's a good observation because, particularly on the point of like, you know, a religion, a religious point of view, or or, or God oriented point of view versus an atheistic point of view. You know, he's very clear. There are a number of lines in the book that are dismissive of religion and that yeah. kind of point of view, not just from the character's point of view. To your point, but from the author's point of view. And that, that raises an interesting point too, because it's something in general that this is such an interesting book to discuss because I thought the author did a lot. What's that? I agree. Yeah. It's, it was really a great choice by this listener who recommended it. Um, And I'm not saying that just to butter her up, but I'm saying that because it touches on so much that, like I said before, that just seems very contemporary and relevant to us right now in this moment. Um, And there are some more universal questions as well, but I thought it was very clever, Jude, the way that he, the author had no qualms about inserting his own voice into the narrative here and there. And in this case, it's a like when he, when he says something that's political or disdainful of a, of a, religious point of view that's unfortunate but there are other times where i thought it was really interesting i really kind of liked the kind of literary not trickery but the but the technique that he was using there because he would say something like um you know she thought xyz and then he would just kind of interject well she was going to change her mind on that later when this happened you know like and and he'll allude to things that happen in the future that you, you never actually it never gets fleshed out, but it's just kind of an intriguing. They're like little breadcrumbs or something that he drops in there. I thought that was interesting. And I thought he showed yeah. some creativity and kind of literary cojones by doing that. Um, no, I agree. I agree with that. And I'm going to let you continue, but there was another place where he said, brought up the idea of suicide. And then he said, but it, it kind of, he doesn't say, by the way, but it says, oh, but, basically like by the way suicide is the right noun for what was happening in the world you know and then it just kind of keeps going and i i agree with you john i'll let you continue but i agree with you i thought i i did like the 
I did like the the stones, if you will, of just kind of dropping things in like that and keeping going. I, again, I, I felt a lot of confidence behind this book. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's a good way to put it. But uh, I thought that was interesting. The other thing that he does, and I thought he did this very deftly, and I, I, I did discuss this book a little bit with the listener who recommended it because he's a friend. Um, and she pointed this out too. So I want to, I want to attribute this idea to her, even though I noticed it, but the way that this is quite unusual in a novel, the way that, um, sometimes you have novels that will shift point of view. It'll have a chapter from this person's point of view or a chapter from this one. But what Alam does is like all, he will shift in mid chapter or sometimes in mid paragraph and he'll quickly enter the the mind or the point of view of let's say Ruth or let's say Amanda and Clay and he would go back and forth he would have no qualms about telling you what this person's thinking but then two paragraphs later you're in the child's mind you know I don't know how much you picked up on that and sometimes you're with Clay it's like being John Malkovich or something sometimes you're looking at your guys <laughs> Malkovich yeah. Sometimes it's John Cusack. Sometimes it's uh, Catherine Keener or whatever. But he was doing that. And I, it threw me off a little bit at first. But then I thought, you know, this is, this is kind of an interesting technique because he lets you see the situation from a number of different characters' point, points of view. And in this particular situation, that's interesting because you don't know what the hell's going on. And you know, just like if you or I were in that situation, let's say your family and mine were bunked in a house, you know, you'd have your thoughts, your wife would have her thoughts, mine would have her her thoughts, you know, and, and, they're, and they're not the same, you know. Right. Well, we definitely do it, I, you know, we should definitely do X, Y, Z. And no, that's, that's, that's stupid. We should, we should do, we should do this, which is the opposite. So these are just ways that I thought, I was impressed with that, like the way Ruman Alam like took some chances in the way that he wrote the book and just kind of like you, you talk a lot about just like not paying attention to the rules, you know, and I felt like he, I guess that's the confidence that you're talking about. You know, he just said, I'm just gonna, there aren't really any rules. I can, I can, I can leave the narrative and, you know, talk as myself or, or as the author and I can, you know, all of a sudden we're back, we're in Clay's mind or we're in GH's mind, et cetera. Thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very interesting with this book, John. I, I agree with your comments about the how it's a good choice. I think we sort of made that clear, you know, just like to, you know, but it was an excellent choice. The, re, the listener really intuited that. But what's funny about this for me, like, uh, you know, I, I think you can hear in some of my comments, I continue to grapple with my own reaction to it. But you pointed out earlier very, very correctly that, like, for me, you know, so much about the way I read things like this, especially fiction is like, and I'm paying attention to the, how it was made, you know, and, and things that I recognize from like a writer's perspective. What's so interesting here is that this book, excuse me, this book um, passes all my, all or most of my literary tests in terms of the way books are written. Like I, I, I agree with you. I like the, um, the chutzpah of like the, the almost like hyper omniscient, omniscient narrator, you know, like, like yeah. jumping around and, and then those it's just so far back sometimes that it can get, sort of allude to what's happening around the entire globe and then zooms back in stuff like that. 
I like, I really like that about it. I like the readability. Like I said, I like the pace of it. Like I said, I mean, I think it like, again, I think he really knew knows what he's doing, you know, from the point of view of like literary craft. And so then it just became, as I keep saying, like this question of why am I struggling so much with this book? And it, and it just, it got my back up quickly. And, you know, after that, I was like really grappling with like, you know, is this me reacting or is this something that this writer is really doing or would many other people have the same reaction? And in some cases I was like, no, I, I can, I can pull back enough to recognize that this is just, just getting kind of annoying me personally. And in other cases I thought, wait a minute, like, you know, like there's, there's a, like a broad swath of people that might not see these things the same way. And this guy isn't giving any room for it, you know? And, but you know, that's perfectly, I mean, isn't that, is that not within his right? You know, as the guy who's like, you know, so just like, does this book appeal to you? And for me, it, it didn't, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't say it's worth the time to read, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and there, there's a lot of like little specific examples, you know, of things that, you know, I, 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 as much as I admired about it, I thought there were, there were a number of missteps, you know, um, that didn't need to happen. So we could talk about some of those things or, uh, I don't know. I don't know where you want to go next. Well, where I want to go next is take a quick break, which we'll do here momentarily. And then we'll come back. And I think there's at least a couple other interesting aspects of this book that we could touch on. I also want to get into in at least one aspect, uh, some a little bit more specifics about the book. So we'll we'll okay. do that. We'll do that in a second. All right, rack it up. So yeah, you know, kind of picking up where we just left off. Uh, I, I think there's there there's a lot of different themes that we could touch on here, Jude, and and unpack with this book. And and I do want to ask you something specific about the book that I think will lead us into some specifics and plot points, etc. But I just want to mention that you know, um, I mean, there's a number of, of prominent themes I thought that came across in this book. But to me, you know, I already mentioned parenting. To me, I just wanted to at least touch on this. One of the one of the interesting threads in this book is it has to do with masculinity and the way that you know different men in the novel kind of react to the situation they're in. And I thought there was something you know he was definitely kind of like picking at that theme a little bit uh, with the character of Clay and and the character of G H and the kind of the, the different ways that they react to the scenario that they're in and the danger that they're in potentially. And there was even like the handyman. Um, I don't remember his name, but uh, that uh, GH kind of like uh, not idolized, but, you know, admired and would bring in, you know, the, the book makes an, especially from Ruth's point of view, takes a number of, um, makes a point of kind of, 
expressing, you know, how much the GH admired this handyman. And then later on, when they're trying to figure out what to do, he's like, well, let's go. To, oh, it's Danny. His name is Danny. Let's go to Danny's house. Danny's going to know what to do, <laughs> you know, yeah. this encounter with Danny, which is interesting. And he says, you know, basically, I can't help you. But um, I was and I think this connects to another theme, which is which I want to touch on, too, which is our that I found very interesting in this book. At least for me, it brought up, you know, our technologies, our dependence on technology. How vulnerable does that leave us? <laughs> you know, just in general, as like a species, <laughs> because we're so, and we all deal with this in our personal lives. We are so dependent on these damn phones and computers and the internet now that when that's stripped away, you know, it almost connects back to the whole mask. It's like we, we're powerless. You know, and and that's an experience that everyone has in this book. They've got no connectivity and they don't know what the hell to do because they're so dependent on their phones. But going back to the men in the book, did you I'm sure you picked up on that. But but did you think there was something kind of interesting going on or, or you know, deliberate going on there with in terms of like uh, playing around with the concept of masculinity and how you're supposed to act in a situation like this versus how maybe you do act? Yeah, I mean that was all over the place. I thought the author hit that a little too hard, you know. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah, I thought he just kind of had an axe to grind about the way men were supposed to traditionally act, you know. Hmm. And that came out in different ways. Although, you know, some of the things that you're again, it's kind of a it. I'm not saying it's not a relevant question, you know. Yeah. To me, it was all about kind of the attitude behind the, the way the book was written. I don't know how else to say it, but just to take the question itself. I mean, I think that's definitely a relevant question. You know, he even says outright um, page 206. I won't do anything. I can't do anything without my phone. I'm a useless man. Huh. You know, that was Clay talking, but he, he hit that many times. You know, Clay is the guy that went out to try to find some help and sort of refused to stop anywhere and ask for directions, you know, <laughs> or like until, until well, he couldn't find many people, but he wasn't, he couldn't admit that he was lost, you know, and then was trying to find his way back. And then uh, I, I thought it was hit on a lot of times, you know, but again, you know, there is an element of bunk or I think misguidedness to the way that we expect men to behave in matters of crisis, you know, like they've got to take command or take things over, you know, yeah. or be able to uh, deliver the disaster. So I don't, I don't begrudge the question, you know, and I thought, and it, and it is an interesting thing to consider. I, I'm like sitting here listening to you and I thought, man, maybe like just the difference between you and I as readers, it's just that John likes to examine the, the broader themes. And I'm looking at like kind of the, 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 the wing nuts and the, the the way that the wood panels join together. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that, that makes some sense, you know, because you're interested in the construction because you're a writer. Yeah. But I mean, so I, I, to me, he hit that as like many things too, a little bit too hard. Again, implying that just this writer had said personally, I've had, I, I'm sorry to be crude, but some up his butt about the way, 
men are traditionally portrayed and that might have a lot to do with him as an individual, you know? So, you know, but it, it was in there and it's a, it's a relevant theme and I could see how that would be intriguing, especially to, uh, to female re- readers in a way, you know, like just the examination of the, or, or let's put it this way, like the, the way that the different genders in the book, the women versus the men react to the situation that they're in. Well, one thing I, I do give the book credit for is that, you know, and you kind of expected like, like in so many shows, TV shows, movies, books nowadays, you know, that uh, the men are going to all just be helpless idiots and the women are going to, you know, take charge and, and, and lead, lead the way forward to safety and resolve everything. Well, that doesn't happen here. I mean, no, that's true. It's a good point. Nobody knows what to do. And, and uh, Amanda, Amanda is as much of, in a way is as much of a mess as Clay is, you know? Yeah, Yeah. 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 And Ruth and GH at times, they seem a little bit more grounded in reality, but they, but they also have their, you know, they, their doubts, they second guess themselves, they second guess each other. Um, so I thought that was at least democratic and across the genders in the way that was handled. Um, I hear what you're saying about, about Alam and his voice, but I didn't really feel, I didn't, I didn't feel well, he might have hit it too hard here and there, but it didn't bother me. To me, the, the and maybe this is what you were saying before, like the question that it raises is more interesting. Like I just, I don't know, I just put myself in that situation as I'm reading it. I'm being like, not literally like what would I do in this exact situation, but I would feel a certain, not expectation, but pressure or obligation to figure something out. You know, if my family was in mm-hmm. this kind of a situation, and you know, Alam takes great pains to, and maybe this is like what you're saying. Maybe it's a little bit too much, but he takes great pains to depict Clay as a a weak man. I mean, even like you said, he actually says it. He's like, "I'm nothing," and he yeah. and he did to himself a lot. Like, I I tried to go out and find help, and I was useless. I just got lost. And it's interesting that he's embarrassed to admit to his family that he got lost. You know? Yeah, he lies. Oh, he lies that he got lost in the first place. You know. Yeah. And it's maybe it's a little bit heavy, but it, it does. It didn't really mean that it was heavy because it just raises interesting questions about. I don't know. Like, like. Uh, I, I guess I would say, as men, like, what are we obliged to do, and. Does it matter what what we're you know society kind of thinks we should do, and you know should we just follow our conscience and do the right thing, and trust ourselves to some degree? You know this guy Clay, he just couldn't even. He's just a weak character all the way around, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was by design, but you know you're just like this guy's useless in a crisis, you know. Yeah. Um, well, that's what he, that's what he that's what what he came to realize, you know. Yeah. And uh, but a lot of the characters, most of the characters weren't much better. They they did not know what to do. And there's that moment, you know, I, talk, I talked about getting the specifics. There's that moment where he runs into. And I debated about this part of the book, too, because it's a little a little heavy handed. He runs into a woman on the road and she's a Hispanic woman and he can't understand what she's saying. 
And because he can't understand what she's saying, he basically says, well, this, you know, we can't get anywhere. We can't communicate. So I'm just going to leave her. <laughs> yeah. And that was both heavy handed. Yes. You know, it's kind of like, okay, lack of communication. We can't, we can't communicate, you know, at the same time, I found that, you know, and this is kind of the knife edge of this book because in some places it is sort of heavy handed, but it presents these interesting scenarios because maybe she did know something about what was going on. Maybe she had a lot of answers, you know, and you just, yeah. you just don't know because you, he couldn't understand what she was saying. And he kind of leaves it at that. You never do find out what he was saying. And I thought there was something interesting about that. The way that he does not fill in certain details. You know, he sets up some tantalizing ideas, but he doesn't follow them. And you don't know. It could be this. It could be this, you know, and you don't know which it is. Not, and that, that's, there's, a, there's a mystery to what goes on in this book, you know, that lives beyond the end of the book. You know, you really don't know, which leads me to something I wanted to ask you in, ter in terms of getting, you know, as we kind of come around third base here. You know, I just thought it would be interesting to sort of discuss this because it's, it's kind of this big question looming over the book and there is no definitive answer. But did you have a firm sense of what what the incident was? Like, what was the event or what happened? Do you have a theory about that? No, I have no idea. I think it was yeah. deliberate to deliberate to not because there if you think about it, there are many facets to it. They didn't even seem to really tie together to each other. Yeah. But that that use of the word suicide that I brought up earlier, there were there were kernels in the book that made it sound like it was a much bigger thing than than you even realize from reading that particular story. And again, that's part of a consequence of Alam's decision to stay really close to the characters involved, you know, so there was so much ignorance to what was really happening, but he, he drops these little kernels in there, which I did like a lot. That tells you that it's just way bigger than anybody imagines, but those kernels don't even necessarily tie together, you know, no, like the sonic boom type of things, as opposed to like teeth falling out, as opposed to like animals, you know, hurting together or what, you know, dogs and cats living together or whatever. So, yeah, but yeah. but just to interrupt, some of those kernels are like a particular character's theory as to what's going on, not necessarily yeah. what's actually going on. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think so, but also like, so I mean, there is there's like these sonic booms that everybody hears, yeah. who's involved. There is a mass migration of like huge herds of animals that most of them see. And then there's the incident with the sun's teeth falling out. Again, spoilers, but those yeah. are all not theory, but I think there's other areas where they do, you know, you do get like sort of uh, different speculation on what's going on, you know? Yeah. And I, again, not to sound like a broken record, but I, I thought, I thought that the way that these hints are dropped and there are many of them, but any one of them could have been plausible, but there, again, there are many of them. So you don't know. I, I thought that was intriguing, you know, like, is this an environmental event? Is this a geopolitical event? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
is yeah. this a technological breakdown of some kind? Is it is it the rise of the machines? <laughs> you know, like right, right. Is, yeah. is, and, is, is, is it North Korea? You know, is it Donald Trump? You know, I, I don't know. So again, yeah, I mean, well, sorry, just real quick, touching on many different fears, you know, from the environment to geopolitical concerns to our own administration, whatever that administration may be. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to bring up something about sort of, you know, I guess the, the answer, which is not given in the book. And also that, that ties back into what you were saying earlier about the, the different genders and like the, the way gender roles are sort of probed in this book. That whole angle of it led to one of what I thought was one of the worst misfires of the whole book. And so I just wanted to, I, I, I know you're kind of doing the questions, but I wanted to see if you noticed this, you know, and unfortunately okay. it was right. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately it was right towards the very end of the novel. And I've already said that I kind of like the very, very end, but you were talking earlier about, you know, like, uh, you know, you're sort of expecting like the female characters to pick up and kind of save the day, which is sort of commensurate with the stories that people are telling recently, which is no knock on females or female characters. It's just kind of the way of culture now, you know, like every show is doing that, you know, I mean, yeah. I think it's safe, safe to say that. Well, I don't know if you remember this. At the very end of the book, you know, page 236, you suddenly, and, and this is, again, the, the point you made earlier about how it kind of jumps around at different people's point of view, you suddenly drop back into the mind of Rose, the 11-year-old girl who's wandering in the book. She's discovered, like, another house, and she's making her way back to the house that their family is staying in. And it's... <laughs> says no rose knew what the, the the noise was meaning the sonic booms that kind of start the whole thing off it says rose knew what the noise was but nobody asked her it was the sound of fact man when i read that i was like what the f is that supposed to mean <laughs> first of all you know nobody asked her because she's an 11 year old girl you know not not the girl part but you know I'm saying a, a child, you know, <laughs> right, right. like who, who's not going to know. I mean, I don't care what the novelist says there. So that, that, that misfired to me. And then the sound of fact, I thought was a bad misstep. I was like, that's ridiculous. You know, what is the sound of fact and what the hell is that supposed to mean? And little, <laughs> you know, somebody should have asked Rose all along. She's got the whole thing figured out. It's the sound of fact. Oh, okay. Thanks, Rose. Well, okay. Well, yeah, the, <laughs> there you have it, folks. The, the book is solved by the book exchange. And, um, I, and I thought there were moments like that in the book that I thought just didn't work. And I, again, but again, though, like my, my, my senses were up, you know, and uh, I, I hate to keep bringing that up as like some kind of excuse for my reaction. I don't mean, I said at the beginning, I was kind of confident in my reaction, my reaction, but it might just be my reaction. And I was like, come on, you know, and unfortunately it was at the, like the, the one of the last pages of the book. So it, it took me out of things for a while. Although I do like how the book actually ended like as in finis, you know? Well, let's talk about that because like, that's what you're describing, which is absurd, by the way. I, I don't know if I, <laughs> I got the book right in front of me. I could probably, you know, open it up and see if I 
commented on that in the margin or highlighted it or something, but <laughs> don't remember. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's absurd. And that's ridiculous. And you're right to call it out because that just doesn't mean anything. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, and it's, a, it's part of that smugness. And, oh, okay. It's not a fact. Yeah. Like, is, is, that, is that supposed to imply the whole book is like a, you know, just fact speaking? Or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when people talk about reason, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Logic. I believe, I believe in reason. Right. <laughs> like, Follow the yeah. science. Yeah. Anybody can be reasonable, whether you're uh, even a, you know, an insane person can be reasonable, as Chesterton observed somewhere. Nice. Anyway, um, but why did you like the very ending of the book then? Because the book does end with Rose. And if I, I you know, my memory is fuzzy, but I think it just she is off on her own and that's kind of the impetus for the last 20, 30 pages of the book because they can't find her. But then it switches to her point of view and she discovers this other house. But then I think she just kind of finds her way back to the, to the family and says, we're going to just, you know, gut this thing out together. What did you, why do you've alluded to this a few times? What was it about the very, very end that you liked? Well, I thought, so I'm just going by memory. Okay. So you have the book there and I don't know if I'm going to get this exactly right, but here's what I remember about the end. You're right. Rose wanders off. They're looking for her. They're kind of panicking. She finds another house with some stuff in it. I thought that was a little weird, but whatever, you know, the people are gone. She's finding her way back. And then we get to the very end, which I can't remember actually, if this was Rose's point of view or just another character's point of view, but they basically all come back together. Um, and they say they're, they're kind of like facing, I, I don't know if it's actually Dawn, but kind of like facing the next day of this unfolding thing kind of all together. And, right. you know, somebody says something to the effect of you're either in their thoughts or they actually say it. Um, you know, they were together and they had, you know, absolutely no idea what was going to happen or no idea what was in front of them. And then the very end of the book, it kind of just says like, but isn't every day like that? And then the book ends. <laughs> yeah and and i thought i mean it's a little bit of a layup in a way like i thought well you know i might have been able to come up with that too but when i but when i backed up a little i th i did think it was kind of part of the point of the whole book and i i i, I warmed to that ending quite a bit because i thought well you know that is kind of what's going on here like you know like in a way like i mean isn't could can't we say that about every day that we live you know that you have no idea if something disastrous is going to happen or you have no idea and all that implies i thought what well, if that maybe it was a little pat maybe but i also thought it was like a reasonable and kind of interesting way to put a cap on the story that he had just told you had to end it somehow he wasn't going to tell us what happened because it just i think the writer thought it was just irrelevant you know it was just the apocalypse yeah. or whatever, you know, was slowly unfolding. And it's more about these people. They go into the next day. They don't know what's ahead of them, but isn't every day kind of like that, you know, and you could say it leads to, so live your life to the fullest or whatever, but he didn't, he didn't bother to do that. He just raised the question. So I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good observation. And, you know, I know the author has said point blank in interviews that he's given that he doesn't know what the incident was. He never really even bothered to figure it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, 
which I think is a little bit of a writerly answer, but um, I think he deliberately kind of left it vague. And, you know, I think that works to interesting effect. Certainly, in my opinion, there are a couple of hints and clues, and he alludes a few times to it sounds like there's something. It's not just environmental. There's something man-made going on, some kind of attack, some kind of geopo- geopolitical event that, you know, may well have led to environmental repercussions, like maybe it's something nuclear that, you know, the animals are picking up on or whatever. But, like, that's just sort of hinted at. And it doesn't matter in the end. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I take your point about the very end. Um, yes, it's a little bit not heavy-handed, but it's it's uh, it's a point that's made been made before. To your point, like live every day as if we were, as if it were your last, etc. But yeah. coming to the end of this whole situation, which and and that's something to say about it too that we haven't really mentioned. But the way this unfolds with the technology and the phones and the TV and and the Airbnb and the situation. You know, it feels very real. That's one thing that I want to make sure comes out in this discussion. Like, it feels plausible. And um, I, I give the book credit for that. Like, there, there's definitely, you know, we are incredibly dependent on our technology. Um, we have built, you know, weapons and, and of mass destruction and things that can affect the environment, you know, permanently. You know, there are things that happen or that are implied in this book that could happen for sure. You know, it, it felt yeah. plausible. It felt plausible to me. So this kind of a scenario, especially when you consider how dependent we all are on our technology, which again, to me, and this reflects my own thinking because I'm I'm so I've said on this podcast before and in my reading reflects this that um you know, the ways that we interact with technology and our sort of dependence on technology is a subject I find interesting. But this book certainly touches on on that theme, to be sure, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, we were just talking about the end of the book. I feel you could go on and on and on about this book, but I feel that might be a, right, a good place to kind of wrap things up. Um without going on and on forever about the book, a really interesting pick for us to discuss. And um, from my point of view, I would recommend that I, I would recommend it. I think it's an interesting enough read and it raises enough interesting questions. And it's certainly an entertaining experience to read it that I would recommend it. Uh, I hear a lot of the, you know, kind of criticisms and reservations that you have, but to me, Again, when a book raises a lot of really interesting sort of societal and cultural questions, especially when they connect to technology, that that to me is kind of uh, enough to keep me intrigued. I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share about the book? Well, I guess I would say that, you know, if someone were to. Hey, it was a great book for discussion. But if someone were to say, like, do you recommend this book or should I read this? I don't know if I could go that far. But I might say some of the effect of. Uh, this is one of those books that, you know, because a lot of times I can fall down easily on one side or the other. This one, not so much. I might say something like, you know. It's it's 
I didn't like it very much, you know, like it kind of, it kind of rankled me in a lot of different ways, but that doesn't mean it's not worth your time, you know? Yeah. So you would have to sort of check it out and, uh, you know, come to your own conclusions. I might, I might say something to that effect. I'd be very interested to hear kind of the perspective of uh, your friend who brought it up, kind of what really lit her up a, about this book. I, you know, I mean, I, I could make some guesses, but I don't know, you know, but, um, and I just have to say, I guess I, 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 I sort of wanted to admit this throughout the, the discussion here, like uh, some of it, you know, and I keep saying, I sort of struggle with my feelings about it because some of it was just like, you know, I'm a fiction writer, kind of a uh, failed is too strong a word, but like a struggling fiction writer. And I've been, so I always look at my books through that prism, as we've said, you know, pointed out a million times. And I've been trying not as hard as I could. I don't want to say I've been like laboring, you know, every day, but I've tried off and on for 25 years to get like basically New York City publishers or literary agents to take some interest in stuff that I've written. And, yeah. you know, I can't get, I can't get a, you know, the time of day. And when I was reading this book, I thought, man, this is just like, my sense was that this just ticks off everything that the, the publishing world is looking for, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, all the, all the topics and all the um, thoughts about genders and, you know, masculinity and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, racism and all that kind of thing and uh, dependence on technology and this interconnected world. And I thought this is just catnip for any like New York publishing house. And so uh, what I'm saying is I, uh, you know, there, there's like a little bit of like the jealousy of the trade you know, that I felt reading this book. I was like, I can't get the time of day. This book, you know, nobody would turn this book away, you know, yeah. and the yeah. guys are the right, you know, uh, demographics and, and, and everything. And it's just perfect. You know, and so unless I'm writing a book like this, you know, I, I don't stand a chance. And I'm just admitting that because I, I felt that, you know, at, at the beginning of the book. And then it might have affected the way I reacted to it. But, you know, as I point out in my, my review, though, John, just to conclude, I mean, I think I'm a good enough or a experienced enough reader to, you know, to see some of those questions that I really thought were good questions like you did and to appreciate, you know, the the, the quality of the way that Alam put the book together. I didn't cite them in here, but there were some really literary sentences that really kind of made me run for the toilet, you know, you know, <laughs> sort of writerly expressions, you know? Um, yeah. But, you know, those felt like kind of nitpicks and, uh, you know, I, I could see that the guy knew what he was doing, like I've been saying. So, uh, Anyway, it was like, yeah, it's a great discussion book, though, and it's and it's definitely timely. And for all the reasons that you cite, like what you appreciated about the themes of the book, I think, you know, would probably interest a lot of people. For sure. So uh, that is the Geek Exchange review of Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. And again, we thank our, our listener friend for suggesting it to us. And a message to her, hey, listen, if you got thoughts that you want to share about this book, you know, you can email us. I think it's bookexchangetwins at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail on the anchor.fm site. And um, who knows, they might even get featured on the air here. But you don't have to do that. But if you have anything you feel strongly about, let us know.
And that goes for all listeners. So we'd love That's to right. hear from you. We always want to hear from you. If you have opinions about this review or anything else that we've discussed on the, on the program, let us know. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Yeah, John, and I just want that in. I can I guarantee for both myself and John that we will take your suggestions for book titles seriously, no matter what the genre. I guarantee it. Yep, absolutely. So, like I said, we'll take a quick break and um, come back and do our usual segments to wrap up the pro wrap up the episode, and we'll be right back in a second. All right. Well, here's where we talk about what we have, what what's coming up, what's on deck, what we're going to be reading next. Um, and I, for my own self, I can't answer that question because I don't really know. Uh, I literally just picked up this, uh, you know, collection of nonfiction writing writings from Jorge Luis Borges, and um, it's going to take me a while to kind of plow through even a segment of those. So I haven't. Haven't quite figured out where I'm where I'm weaving to next after I read that. So I don't really have an answer to this question. So I'll pass it over to you, Jude. Well, sometimes that's the best place to be. You just kind of spend a few minutes wandering down your voluminous shelves of titles that's until right. something jumps off at, at you. But um, yeah, well, I can talk about what I'm gonna read next, so hooray for me. Uh but um, yeah, my next my next two books are inspired. I you know. I hate to say we inspire ourselves, but they're inspired by uh, the last episode we did, episode 37 on Hidden Gems. So I went down to my basement where I have like bookshelves and I plucked two books that I, you know, that the interest was rekindled in me from the last episode. The first one was The Meeting at Telgate by Gunter Gross. It's a very quick read. But man, I marked the hell out of my copy, though. You know, maybe I've read it twice, but I got writing all over that thing. Um, and that's the book that was about the meeting of the poets and writers in the during the Thirty Years' War set in Germany. <laughs> it's a really funny book. And I know I'm just going to blow through it. So I, I was really interested in checking that book out again. And then after that, I do have a copy of uh, Bruce Chatwin's The Song Lines that you discussed last time oh, yeah. in the Hidden Gem uh, in the Hidden Gems uh, episode. Yeah, you gave me like a beat up used copy of it. I've never read it. And then when you described it the last time, I was like, man, that did, that really sounds like <laughs> that sounds way out there, you know? Um, so I was just intrigued. So I'm going to read that after that. And then uh, we'll go from there. So I'm excited. Yeah. I can't wait to get your take on that. That's such an <laughs> unusual book. And you know, my comments on it were it had been many years since I had read it. So there was you have to kind of like take that into account. You know, there was I was thinking about it through the haze of like memory, but man, I remember being just really struck by that book, how unusual and different it was. So pretty well, sure. Thought... Yeah. No, did you want to finish your thought? No, go ahead. 
Well, I thought it, you know, it certainly has been a while since I've read about like ancient Aborigine culture. So <laughs> it's time to sort of wet that whistle. <laughs> uh, and it's such a fascinating culture too. The, the Aboriginal peoples uh, from what we now know as Australia and New Zealand is just, just fascinating. I mean, they, they look at the world in a different way than any other culture that I can think of ever has. So that's really, that in itself is really interesting. So those are some great picks coming up. Um, and now, you know, other than that, we, we, we're left with teasing the next episode, which we can't really do because we haven't really decided yet what we're going to be doing for episode 39. We have an idea for episode 40, um, which we can discuss maybe the next time we record. Uh, we have something special planned for episode 40, which is going to be really fun. But episode 39, we have a couple ideas, right, Jude, on the table, but we're not really totally sure, so we're not quite ready to say what that's going to be. But we would encourage you to, you know, check our social media accounts, you know, Jude Joseph Lovell on Twitter, John F. Lovell on Twitter. Um, and we're both on Instagram as well. So check us out if you want to get kind of a sneak preview when we've made that decision. Anything else you want to say about that, Jude? I mean, just sometimes we have some ideas, but nothing really stands out. And we give ourselves the latitude to say, like, you know what? We're not ready. So then you got to hit those social media sites or whatever. Or come on in in two weeks and be surprised. Either way, um, as Sean Connery said in the movie The Russia House, I won't let you down. <laughs> little, little obscure cinema reference there. Wow. Uh, that's like uh, early 90s gold right there. <laughs> I think, or late 80s or whatever. But, uh, I don't know where that comes from. It just kind of came out of the vault. Hey, it came from one of your uh, favorite uh, or one of your admired novelists, right? Isn't that John Lacare? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, that's our, that's our show for episode 38. Thank you, as always. Thank you so much for listening in and joining us. We really enjoy uh, putting this program together for everyone who listens. Thank you again to our listener for her great recommendation. And uh, we will be back a couple of weeks with episode 39. The book exchange rolls on. Yeah. Thank you, Madam listener. And thank you all for listening to the book exchange. And until next time, see ya. Adios. <laughs>